Yeah, let's put our hands together for that team. Uh, if you guys would like to watch those interviews in their entirety, you can go to southcrest.church forward slash Costa Rica story. And there you can um, kind of watch all those interviews there. And also, if you would like to uh, get some more information on future upcoming missions trips, um, you can send us an email at hello at southcrest.tv. And we are right now planning and looking at what we want to do next year. And uh, man, we can't wait. We cannot wait to see what God's going to do uh, in and through this church all the way around the world. So also, can we give it up for the band? I mean, that was just... Excellent, excellent, excellent work. Um, man, I love it when we get to go to the throne room of God and sing songs about Him and uh, do it in a very unique and creative way. Uh, today, we're right in the middle of our series called Yes and Amen. We are looking at the promises of God that we find in the Word and how He, our Heavenly Father, is a promise-making God and He is also a promise-keeping God. And we're looking at um, how we can lay hold of this as His children and all that he says, hey, I want this for you. I want this miracle in your life. I want this blessing in your life. I want these promises for you. And it's been a really challenging and incredible series so far for me personally. And today, um, I want to share a little bit from my heart where the Lord's kind of taken me uh, over the past few months. It's crazy. These, this, this message is kind of carved out of journal entries in my journal from, from a few months ago. So the Lord has a plan. The Lord has a plan, and if you'll open your heart with me today, uh, I think he wants to speak to you as well. Um, I want to focus on our responsibility when it comes to receiving the promises of God. What, what's, what posture should we have when it comes to God's promises and miracles and blessings in our life? What decisions do we need to make? I heard it said that we get to choose decisions. It's our choice to decide to do things. However, the consequences of our decisions, we don't get to choose those, right? I could choose to kick this table as hard as I can, and I could want a lollipop out of it. However, I'm going to get a broken toe, right? The consequence, I don't get to choose. I get to choose the decision. It's tied to uh, the choice at the beginning. And if you look at decisions that you and I have made in, in our lives, some, some decisions we've made are good, other decisions, not so good. A lot of us have made dumb decisions. I am number one here in the room, made a lot of dumb decisions. I can remember uh, before I came to work here at Southcrest, I was, I was in a band. We toured around uh, the country and uh, we played music for a living. And very early on in our career, um, we um, were on a tour called Shoutfest. It's a big festival tour, uh, like 18 uh, Christian artists. Uh, traveled around America and we played and we played in front of very large audiences and these bands were obviously well developed they're they're way into their career and they're traveling around in these massive beautiful buses these prevosts right and and here we are little old after them and we pull up in a conversion van right and we're just like putting along we get there and we're like man we need a bus okay this this conversion van ain't going to cut it anymore Side note, we did not need a bus. We were broke. We were, we were, we did, could not afford it. Hence, I'm getting to a bad decision. So anyway, we, we finished that tour out. We got hired to do two weeks in San Antonio, Texas. Man, we got treated like royalty. Um, we got to eat every night on the river walk. I mean, we made a bunch of money as a very young band. What did we do with that money? We did not save it. We did not put it into our career advancement. No, we drove to Nashville and we bought a bus. Okay, that's exactly what we did. Now, we didn't make enough money to buy a Prevost. We made enough money to buy a shuttle bus, okay? This was a people mover. You know what these things are, right? 
And uh, this bus was awesome to us. It was converted with bunks so we could sleep as we traveled. And it was actually really comfortable. Uh, but the problem was it was very, very old. And it was a piece of junk. And for two years, we dumped tens of thousands of dollars into this bus. And it was a running joke that every time we would go out for two weeks and play shows, coming home, we would get home and we'd take it to the shop, $1,000 every day. Hey, next time we get home, it's going to be $1,000. And sure enough, $1,000, man, every time. To make a long story short, a couple of years later, we actually end up leaving that bus on the side of the road in Pennsylvania. It broke down so bad. We were playing upstate Pennsylvania. We had to get to the next date, which is in Kentucky. Broke down. Done. Like, like broke. Um, so we were like, man, what do we do? There was no rental company around. We uh, encouraged a waitress that was serving us food to quit her job on the spot, drive us two hours to get a U-Haul box truck. I promise. There's a video to prove this, by the way. I got proof. Um, so a couple of us go with that person to get a U-Haul box truck while the other others uh, of us stripped this bus. We had junk everywhere across the road. And uh, at the end of the night, we put a sign on the bus that said, free bus to a good home, put the keys in the seat, and walked away from that thing. Just literally walked away from it. Um, we, uh, yeah, finally got to the concert in Kentucky. It was great. But four of us had a ride in the box, which is really dangerous. Uh, U-Haul, I'm sorry. We probably broke some laws with that. But we had to get there, so we made do. A um, couple weeks later, we, we were in the same area, and we pulled off that exit to see if it's still there. And sure enough, it was gone. I'm sure it was, I don't know, taken to the junkyard and crushed. I'm sure it wasn't even valuable. But here's, here's what I'm getting at. That decision to purchase that bus, though it was a good idea, was a bad idea. And a lot of times in life when we make decisions like that, we start blaming God or blaming the, the devil because of things that, that are going bad. You know, man, the devil's just after my finances. Stay gum. No, the devil's not after your finances. We bought a bad bus, okay? We bought a piece of junk bus. And so um, it's important. The decisions we make are very, very important. And when it comes to God's promises, he requires us, he requires action in a posture, and he requires us to make decisions ourselves. And the whole point of this message is this, posture yourself for the promise. Posture yourself for the promise. And, and what I'm getting at is you and I, we can hinder the promises of God in our life if we aren't aligned under God, if we aren't obeying his word and following his commands, we can be out of alignment and you and I can be the hindrance from receiving God's promises. Now, here's, here's what I'm not saying. I want to say this before we jump into Joshua 3. I'm not saying that you and I can produce God's blessing in our life. These are his gifts to give to us. We can't conjure it up and say, you know, force his hand. But however, I believe that you and I, we can be a hindrance if we're not following God. Are we with, y'all with me? Nod your head, say yeah, rock and roll. Okay, cool. Excellent. So we're going to be in Joshua 3. I kind of want to take a look at two sections of scripture, this Old Testament and then some New Testament here towards the end. Joshua 3. This is the moment where the Israelites are literally about to take their first step into the promised land. Okay? This is the moment. And to give you a little backstory, God made a covenant with his people, the Israelites. Okay? And a long time ago, he told his people, hey, you're, you're going to be my people, and you're going to worship me, and I'm going to give you this land, and it's going to be amazing. Fast forward a few hundred years, the Israelites find themselves... Uh, as slaves under the hand of Pharaoh. 
And so not sounding very promising, not sounding very great, you know, they're, you know, probably angry at God, like, well, you know, this isn't very great, How, you know. And so anyway, God raises up Moses, and we see that Moses, under, God, um, under God's hand and Moses' leadership, that Moses leads them out from Pharaoh. And we see many, many years of God's provision and all this stuff happening in the lives of the Israelites, and Moses is leading them towards the promised land, right? The promises of God, the promises that he gave the Israelites. And so, anyways, as Moses and and the Israelites are getting closer to this promised land, they send out some spies. They're like, hey, go check out the land. We're about to get there. We We need to know what we're walking into. And so the spies go. They come back. They're like, dude... The land is amazing. It's awesome. It's just incredible. But we, we can't take it. There's no way we can, we can walk into this land. There are giants. There's armies. There's no way. So many of you know the story. What happens? Because of their disobedience and because of their unbelief, they wander in the desert for 40 years. We see their promise was delayed because their posture wasn't right. The posture of their heart wasn't correct. So fast-forwarding, the Israelites finally get their heart right, Moses dies, and God raises up Joshua. And right here we see where they are going to walk into the promised land. And I'm going to read all of Joshua 3, so hang with me. Here we go. Um, Early in the morning, Joshua and all of the Israelites set out for Shittim. You've got to be really careful how you say that. And I I didn't write it, y'all. That's in the Bible. Take it up with Jesus. That's not my. That ain't mine. So don't get mad at me. And went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Well, we have a command. And then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. You don't have Google Maps on your cell phone. You've got to know which way to go. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark, ark, excuse me, and do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do uh, amazing things among you. He's telling you, get your heart right, posture yourself, set yourself apart, ask for forgiveness. God's going to do something amazing tomorrow. We move on, it says, And Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant, pass ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant, When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Persites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. See the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, and as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot into the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off, and will stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. That's an important number. I think that's 15. That's important to remember. 
Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a, in a heap great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarthan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Araba, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite of Jericho. The priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan, stood on dry ground, while all of Israel passed until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. We see an amazing miracle of God's hand, right? So to paraphrase this and to kind of bring it down, what what Joshua says, he has a moment with God, and he says, huddle up, Israel, huddle up, guys. Here's what's going to happen. Consecrate yourself, set yourself apart. God's going to do something awesome, all right? Okay, go, go. Now, uh, priests, Levitical priests, come here. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to pick up this, this ark, and you're going to walk towards this river, okay? I know it looks a little bit impassable. It looks kind of crazy, but you're literally going to walk through it, okay? Uh, but you've got to obey the Lord. Do that, and everything's going to be just fine. So what we see here is we see God requiring action on the part of the Israelites, right? I did a little research on the Jordan River at flood stage, and I just literally YouTubed it and found a video. This is a video uh, actually, of the Jordan River at flood stage. Um, it is not a cute little creek that we see on the felt board from, from Sunday school, right? Um, obviously, there's some rock formation here, and so it's really rough. There's rapids here. But if you look upstream and if you look downstream, it's still a very large river that we're dealing with here. It is not a cute little thing that we're like, oh, let's hop over this thing. No, it took some serious faith on the part of the priest to put their foot into something like this. Imagine that moment, right? You pick up this ark, and you're, like, you're carrying this ark, and you're walking towards it. I believe in that moment, they had to make a decision. They had to step out and obey his command. And God allows us to play a small part in him bringing his, his uh, story to us and, and him writing his story in our lives. And this is the part that you and I have to understand. To receive God's promises, it's going to take obedience on our part. You see, the promised land was never fulfilled until they actually had to step into the water. Had they not obeyed, had they doubted in that moment, I, I have a feeling that that river would have stayed rushing And they would have never walked into the promised land. They probably would have went and wandered for another however many years. It took obedience on their part. Let me ask you this question. What step of faith is God asking you to take that you haven't taken yet? What action has God called you to do? And what have you not obeyed him in yet? You see, to posture yourself for the promise, here's what we got to do. We have to obey. We have to be obedient. We have to be obedient. If you're going to posture yourself for the promise, that's what it's going to take, following what Jesus says. And if a promise is delayed in your life, we don't need to blame other people. We need to look at our heart. We need to examine ourselves and say, all right, am I in alignment to God? Am I following what he's, what he's saying? He's calling us to step out in faith and touch the water, even though it looks a little crazy. He's saying, listen, shift your weight from the comfortable. Shift your weight from, from you, what you know. And step out in faith. Obey me. One of my favorite documentaries, I I know I talk about documentaries every time I speak, is uh, Man on Wire. It was set in 1974. I think they just made a movie about it recently. It's a story about a guy named Philippe Petit. 
Uh, this guy, he absolutely loved tightrope walking. It was his dream. He did it all over the world. He did it on very uh, familiar structures. He always got in trouble and was thrown into jail for it because he's doing it across buildings and bridges and all this stuff. His ultimate dream was to tightrope walk a- across the Twin Towers. Okay? And so they talk, the documentary talks about the whole story leading up to it, and they had to put together this massive plan. And so him and his buddies got together, and here's what they did. A couple of them disguised themselves as construction workers with all their gear in these carts, and they have fake name tags and disguises, and a couple of them come up into this building, and a couple of them come up into this building. And the story's really incredible because they have to hide from security, and sometimes they have to hide under tarps because they're patrolling these uh, unfinished levels and floors, and they finally get all the way to the top. And, you know, they had planned, how do we get this cable across? So they tied a string to a bow and arrow, and they shoot this bow and arrow across with a small little string. And they tie a bigger string and a bigger, and then finally they get the cable, the heavy cable across. And they get it clamped down, and they get it ready. And in that moment of truth, this is him right here, and this is what he says. He says, when he stood on the edge of one tower with his back foot on the building and his front foot on the cable... He said he had to make a decision of shifting his weight, one foot anchored on the building to one foot anchored on the wire. This was probably the end of my life to step out on this wire. However, on the other hand, it was something that I couldn't resist that called me out onto the cable. This is when he finally stepped out. And we see that he ends up spending, I think, 45 minutes, if you can see it, that's the little speck of him up there. He ends up laying down on it. After a while, cops are waiting for him on either side, so he just chills out there. He's like, whatever, dude, I'm hanging out because I'm going to jail. But uh, I I just, no, no matter how crazy what God is asking us to do, no matter how out of control, out of our control it seems, God is asking us to take a step of faith and obedience. He's asking us, sometimes the first step of obedience is blind. Like, man, I don't, I don't know. Okay, here we go. But God is always faithful to come through on his promises. He wasn't going to leave the, the priests and the Israelites uh, to drown in this river. He had a promise for them, but it required action on our part. Obedience is required. All right, this next, turn with me to Matthew 8. We're going to spend the next few minutes in Matthew 8 and 9. And this next posture that I kind of want us to look at is this, ask and believe. Ask and believe. What we see in Matthew 8 and 9 is, is the moment in, in Jesus' ministry where he's healing people. It's one of my favorite sections of Jesus' life, right? About half of Jesus' healing, we see him going and just healing folks, right? And about the other half, give or take, we see healings happening in the lives of people because they engaged God. They engaged Jesus in that moment. And you got to wonder if that, those people would ever have been healed had they not engaged him, had they not stopped him in the moment and said, hey, will you heal me? A posture of our heart in order for us to receive God's promises and the miracles of healing and the blessings that we see all through Scripture, a lot of times we, we aren't doing this. This is what we need to do, ask and believe. Matthew 8, we're going to start in verse uh, 2 and 3. We're going to look at three stories real quick all kind of leading us towards this idea of asking and believing. Matthew 8 says this, When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, 
you can make me clean. What we see out of the gate is this guy who has leprosy. He had to go to Jesus. Who knows what Jesus was doing in the moment? He could have been preaching. He could have been walking down a road. He could have been just going about his business. But this man engaged Jesus, and he asked him. And he makes one statement, but he's saying two things, right? He's saying, Lord, if you're willing, he is identifying and acknowledging the sovereignty of God, saying, you know what? Healing and blessing and this miracle comes from you and you alone. So if you're willing, Lord, you can make me clean. So what we see in one statement, he asks and he believes. He asks and he believes. And then we go on to see this. And when, uh, I'm sorry, let me back up here. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I'm willing. He said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. That challenges me, y'all. That challenges me when I'm going through something or when I need God to come through of saying, God, I need financial provision in this moment. Do I ask him on a consistent basis and then do I believe that he can do that? Do I believe that his promises are yes and amen? Do I believe it? This person with leprosy did. Moving on, Matthew 8, 5 through 13. This is a very familiar passage too. Uh, but just this is kind of a little bit after the, the man with leprosy. We see uh, the centurion, the faith of the centurion, right? It says, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help, right? Here it is again. He's asking. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? We know what happens here. It says the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the words and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one to, to go and he goes and this one to come and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this and he does it. We know what Jesus' reply is. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. We see a man who asks, who engages Jesus, he asks Jesus, and he believes Jesus, right? Skipping on down, I think it's verse 13, it says, Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go and let it be done just as you believed. Just as you believed. The faith and the action and the asking on the part of the centurion is what, is what activated that promise. It's what activated the healing. And his servant was healed at the moment. You see, it's, our faith isn't what produces healing. Rather, our faith lays hold of the healing that's already provided to us. Right? Faith lays hold of the healing that God has already given us. We see a lot of promises in God's word that's past tense. Right? Faith. Do you believe? Do you believe he's going to do the things he says that he will? It's important. The last one, Matthew 9. If you'll skip on down, Matthew 9, 20. Uh, I just, man, I absolutely love this one. This is the woman with the issue of blood. And it says, Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak... I will be healed. Man, I, God, give me faith like this woman right here. Give me faith like this woman. We see in that moment that Jesus turns and, and saw her and said, take heart, daughter. He said, your faith has healed you. I don't think it was a mistake that Jesus used those words in saying that, hey, it was your faith. It was your action. It was your step. It, it, you know, we see in other um, gospels that he was, around, he was in a large crowd of people 
and he felt power leave his body by somebody just touching the cloak of his garment. And he recognized and said, your faith has healed you. Man, God, would you give us faith to believe what your word says is true? You see that we, we see that, that salvation and healing is tied together at the cross. We see it all throughout scripture. Uh, by his stripes we're healed. We see that, that um, on the cross he bore our sicknesses and our diseases and our sins. And I heard Bill Johnson talk about this. He said, what sin is to our soul, sickness is to our body. And if we can believe God, if we can believe God for salvation, we ought to be able to believe him for healing. Do we have the faith? Do we have the faith required to receive the promises of God? And are you asking him? I know this is very simple, but for some reason, when it comes to prayer, we seem to neglect prayer time. We, we, we seem to just forget, no, at the end of the day, we're laying down in bed. It's like, man, I didn't even pray. I didn't even talk to my heavenly father today. Prayer keeps us in constant contact with our Heavenly Father. A.R. Torrey wrote a book uh, a long time ago, and it's called How to Pray. And um, he makes this statement. He says, prayer is God's appointed way for obtaining things. And the great secret of all lack in our experience in our life and in our work is the neglect of prayer. For some reason, as Christians, we just forget to do it. Now, getting things from God isn't the only purpose of prayer, but maybe one of the reasons why you and I haven't seen the promises of God fulfilled in our life, maybe because we're not asking. And when we don't ask, maybe we're not truly believing that he can do it. It's important, y'all. It's important when it comes to his promises to believe him. Now, another little thought here. Just because you and I pray with a sincere heart, and we, we believe God and go after him, doesn't mean he's necessarily going to automatically uh, provide that promise or that miracle in our life. It kind of goes back to what Caleb was talking about last week, the waiting period, right? God knows what's best for us, but it's our job to pray, to posture ourselves, and to align ourselves with God, and then we leave the outcome to him, right? Faith accepts that God's will is best, no matter what, no matter what we go through. We posture ourselves for the promise and then we leave the outcome to him. Are you the hindrance? Are you the hindrance? That's what I want to get at today. Are you the hindrance of seeing the promises of God fulfilled in your life? I want to ask you these questions. Are you obeying God? Actually, ask yourself these questions. Are you obeying God in every way? Are you stepping out in faith and trusting him like the Israelites did? Taking that step of faith, no matter how crazy it seems to walk into water? Are you doing that with your life? Are you praying and asking God for the miracle, the promise? And do you truly believe that he will answer you? It's important. James 4, 2 says this, and I'm going to close here in just a minute. You do not have because you do not ask God. You don't have because we're not asking God. And the whole point of this is to posture yourself for the promise. Posture yourself for the promise. Let's go before the Lord for the next few minutes. I want you to bow your heads with me.